Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about mental health, psychological health, physical health, awareness in men and society. First, it started with MAN, M-A-N, the acronym for Men Are Nuts. And we have a very special guest on the show for you today. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, hello, my name is Kim Rutherford. I am a psychotherapist and mental wellness coach and I run a private clinic called Dalton Wise in the UK. And whereabouts in the UK are you? I'm based up in Liverpool, fabulous sunny north at the moment. So a lot of people recognise Liverpool, name Liverpool from around the world. What can you tell us about Liverpool apart from them having probably one of the, one of the greatest football teams ever? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you mean Liverpool FC when you say that. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, I'd say the, the most fabulous thing about this city is its people. Um, they are a true community. It's, um, it's very rare that you can walk down the street in a stranger will will say hello and ask you how you are but in this city that's exactly what happens and if you are knocked in this city there will be 10 20 people that will be happy to pick you up so it's probably one of the friendliest cities on the planet yeah and can you tell the listeners or can you, can you think of anything apart from the liverpool football club why what, what is what is liverpool famous for well first one is probably the beatles the music scene in liverpool is is as vibrant now as it was back in the 60s. We're very proud of it. We're a very cultural city in general. It's very, the art side of this city is, is booming. Um, our Docklands are beautiful, absolutely stunning scenery. Um, we have some of the most amazing architecture in the world and so many films get filmed here because of it there's always a new tv show another film peaky blinders is filmed here people love peaky blinders it's um yeah it's very vibrant there's there's lots and lots going on it's one of the number one tourist cities in the world yeah for years it's always had a kind of a bristling nightlife i mean people used to talk about liverpool as as a as a great nightlife and um i remember i remember going up there and (laughs) asking people what half of the city are you? And I remember asking someone and they said, you know, whether the blue half or the red half, and they said, oh, no, I support Tranmere. <laughs> <laughs> Brave soul. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, nightlife-wise, it's, it's great. It's, yeah, it's very much a, it's a city that survived really tough times from a community spirit and a sense of humour. Um, and that's what's got it through and that still exists now so the nightlife you can't you know, so many people travel here just to have a good night out and I think it doesn't matter where you go any bar any club whether it's a city centre or out in the suburbs they've all got a very similar friendly buzzing vibe on it you don't come here and have a bad night out yeah definitely and um, it's, it's definitely renowned as you said humour there it's definitely renowned for having um, comedians everyone seems to be not everyone, I can't, obviously that's the thing, but I'm saying, you know, when you, when I, when, you know, when we went up there and we were speaking to someone, they, they would make a joke and you, and it wasn't, it would seem, it seems quite natural. You know, you've got, you've, you've, you've had a list of comedians over the years. So yeah, um, like you say, humour and, and everything to kind of help soothe the soul. Absolutely. I think in Liverpool, Scousers, you get taught to walk and talk and then to be able to have good banter. And I think that's how, and we're, we're developed as, as children. I mean, my accent doesn't sound very Scouse. I'm what they call a Scouse bumpkin. I was born here 
and then spent some years growing up in Somerset down south right. and then came back up here when I was old enough to make my own decisions again so uh, I have a, a mixed accent so every now and then a bit of scouts will come out oh. <laughs> brilliant brilliant because um, yeah I'm a Liverpool supporter myself um, yeah the blue the, the, the red side definitely definitely Liverpool FC so let's talk about- <laughs> Let's talk about yeah. um, let's talk, let's talk about health and mental health and what's your you know your, what you do and how you manage to get there and and your journey kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, um, I suppose my life has been entwined with mental health from a very very young age, even though I probably didn't realise it until I was much older. Um, I, I grew up with a parent who had uh, mental health issues and it becomes part of your norm. So to see someone have a breakdown becomes part of your norm. To see the after effects of what recovery does to somebody becomes part of the norm. And you don't think too much of it, or at least you don't think you are thinking too much of it as a child. But I think what was happening to me is I'm, I was a sponge at about 10 years old and taking it all in. And although I'm very um, aware of what was happening. I think the things that affected me more was not what was happening to my parents in that process, but actually the way they were being treated by wider society. So I remember when um, there was a job offer taken off the table when they contacted, when the the employer had contacted the doctors and found out that there'd been a mental health issue in the past. All of these things that you would say in modern times, this shouldn't be allowed. But I've seen how those small decisions completely destroyed a family. They brought in so many extra issues that shouldn't have needed to be there if mental health had been part of normal language in society the way we're trying to do it now. So I grew up very much, I think, afraid of developing my own mental health issues. And so I threw myself into work and that's what I did and I was a you know I became studious and then I moved into getting job after job after job and moving up the ladder and I never really gave myself the time to do the relevant self-care you need to do to look after your mental health and then it got to a stage where it all caught up on me all the things that I was running away from got me when I suffered with severe burnout. So I was working in the corporate world. I was, um, I'd worked hard to get there. I was at a nice senior level. I had a job that I really loved doing. I was traveling nationally and internationally. It was all great. And then one day my brain just said, no more, can't, can't do this anymore. And I just happened to be driving on the M50 when this happened. Right. And so I ended up having a car crash and that car crash started to then unravel some of those mental health concerns. First of all, it brought health anxiety, which is very common when you experience um, anything that makes you look at your own mortality. So for me, that that realization that in that moment I could have died, suddenly health anxiety was, was spiked and triggered and that became really hard. So I became fearful of everything. Um, eventually I made the decision to take some time out of work to look after myself a bit better but as soon as I stopped and didn't have work to fill my mind anymore all of those thoughts, feelings, emotions from when I was a child and a teenager and in my early 20s and 30s all came to me at once and that health anxiety led to generalised anxiety that led to depression and for a period of time, I, I was suffering with agoraphobia as well. And 
to the extent when my acrophobia got so bad when my husband who has to travel internationally sometimes had to travel away the fear took over so much that not only could I not leave my house I was unable able to leave the sofa there was one corner of the sofa was the only place that I felt safe in and I stayed like that for a week and that was at my worst and during that time I was waiting and waiting and waiting on a list to be able to go and see a counsellor and I was getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse I'm quite an impatient person and I did a degree in criminology and psychology and sociology so I'd always had a, a good understanding of psychology and obviously growing up in a house with a parent who suffers quite severely with mental health and, and seeing what it looks like inside mental health hospitals from a young age I had an idea of what I needed to look at and it was during that time that I developed my model that helped me with my wellness and it's what I still use now, it's what I use with my clients now as well. Yeah. It's a framework for improving your mental wellness, but also a framework for recovery with mental health issues, managing mental wellness in general, but also a problem solving tool for life's challenges, traumas and transitions. Because we've got to be realistic, we can overcome anything, we're really super strong humans, yeah. but life will keep throwing stuff at us, so we need to be able to learn how to manage everything moving forward. Yeah. I ended up retraining and becoming a psychotherapist, um, I've learned that through my therapy process itself that I had been going undiagnosed with depression for over 20 years and so I had quite a lot of things to work through and as I was working through them and working through my own model I started to realise who I was uh, actually at my core who I was a lot of self-acceptance finally came and the recovery process isn't fast and it shouldn't be fast um, there is no such thing as a quick fix to fixing your mind and your emotional state. Um, but when I came through it, I came, I genuinely did come through it stronger than ever. And I say to anybody who experiences mental health, it is your opportunity to see the, the superhero that you have inside. Yeah. You are stronger than you will ever believe. You are stronger than society will ever want you to believe. And when you can face your innermost demon, and come through that that is a powerful moment and it's t that's when you have to do something with that and make your life something better so I did I, uh, I chose to quit my job and I started up my business and I set up my office in Liverpool and I haven't looked back and that's what I do now I um, use those tools I learned I went as a retrained psychotherapist so I learned all the, those new tools used all the tools I would be had from criminology, used the tools from coaching that I developed in the previous 15 years in the corporate world. And uh, I now offer training and one-to-one -one work to help people, whether they want coaching for mental wellness, or whether they want counseling for recovery, or whether they just want to learn how to look after themselves a bit better so they don't. My core value in everything I do is if you can improve your wellness, you can protect your mental and physical health. Yeah. And that's it. It's about no more blaming anybody for anything, no more victim nature and culture. It's about looking at if I can only focus on what you can control, let everything go. But if whatever you can control is make sure that you set yourself up with a really good, strong framework of how to look after yourself and manage things moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And what I was going to ask you there, what is for you know for people out there that you know might not know, what is agoraphobia? The 
simplest way is agoraphobia is leaving, is, is fear of going outdoors, ultimately is the most simple term for it. Um, it's almost where you create a self space, a safe space, and you don't want to leave it. And mine started with I was living in an area I didn't know very well anyway. Yeah. So it started with really wanting to spend much time outside. My house became safe, and my it just my world became smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, I always say now my claim to fame is what got me through it, and this is this is true. Um, I ended up watching back to back every single episode of Geordie Shore. Yeah. Because I just needed something that mind. This is the truth as well. Yeah, yeah. I needed something that was mind numbing, that was safe. It was happening to someone else, and I was safe. And that's what got me through. And then later in in my recovery, when I used to suffer with insomnia, the thing that would help me go to sleep is I would recall all the names from each series of um, Jolly Shaw, and that would help me go to sleep. Because what it would do is it would um, switch off certain parts of my brain, which would allow my brain to rest and then sleep so although it was a horrific time I'm very grateful to Geordie Shaw and the cast of Geordie Shaw <laughs> because they really did get me through the dark dark times yeah that's 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 interesting because um a lot of people you know I've, I've spoken to I've spoken to a lot of people and we, we all there's always there's always certain thing or one thing that's a coping mechanism um and obviously you you, you brought here yeah, for some people for a, for a musician it might be it might be the drums you know, um, there's always that coping mechanism. And you, you, you obviously, your coping mechanism was Geordie Shaw, um, and how you how you managed to piece things together and see someone else's life, but but it's still able to, still able to, you know, you didn't carry away on the set and, and not be um, not be doing anything or not watching anything. You're able to um, summarize what maybe what was happening in a program and see that being played out in their lives, not in yours. Um, so you know, if you if you if you kind of take back to where you were, you where you were a lot younger, and and your you know your family member and, and stuff, and you've seen you've seen the ins and outs. What what did you see back in those days? What did you see back in those days? What what was it that because what happens then is you become this person that um, like you said you threw yourself into your work. And it's almost becomes this thing where you throw yourself into work. I was listening to you, and you throw yourself into your work, and that becomes a, almost like a coping mechanism back then, coping mechanism. Yeah. But, but you throw yourself into work, but then you end up not being you in that time, in a sense. You see what I mean? Um, yeah. So what, yeah. what was that like for you? At the time, I think what I was doing at the time was very much disconnecting from the real life that I was living. I think that's what I was doing. Um, and I was finding every way that I possibly could. So in school, it was schoolwork and I'd come home from school and my family wouldn't see me. I'd come home and I'd live in my bedroom. Everything took place in my bedroom. I was so private. I, did, I still am very private now. I truly believe this was because of those times. I felt so ashamed of what was happening with my family. Um, I didn't want people knowing, but you can't hide it because, you know, it's what's happening is very, um, what I remember the most is the screaming. I mean, absolute piercing screaming, mood swings. So a life of walking on eggshells, never knowing when something could blow up. Um, Seeing, you know, coming home from school and somebody being in bed because they'd been in bed all day because they couldn't get out of bed. 
being burnt out of bed to come and have your birthday party with you. For me, at that time, it was obviously absolutely traumatising. And my coping mechanism was to disconnect. Yeah. So I disconnected through what I loved. I loved I loved writing and I loved reading at the time. So that's what I would do. I would study and spend all my hours writing and reading. I also had kind of a... My brain almost created a different world for me to live in, which isn't healthy. Um, and it was, yeah, that was, but that was how I coped. I created a new world, a, a, a place completely different to where I was living. Yeah. And I just didn't get out of it for a very long time. Yeah, and it's, and it's, and it's funny how, how we do that is how we, as humans, we, we, we're not, run, I'm not saying running away, I don't mean that in a, in a funny sense, in a, in a bad sense of. We, we do we get away from things and we get away from things and then what happens is we get away into our own world but then that world becomes yes it comes a safe world in a sense but then that world we then end up yeah like you said you've ended up you know years later with um you know like with depression and and and, and struggling and mental, and mental health even though you might have felt like oh i'm running away from it and i'm, I'm safe um, so what were those years of like of you just doing your thing and, and you know doing your head headstrong into work? Mm. Yeah, I mean people would have thought I was one of the strongest people they met. That's what I used to get told all the time. You're so strong. Even my parents would say um, you don't need as much attention as your siblings because you're the strong one. And the reality of it was is strength isn't ignoring it. Strength isn't running away from it. Strength is facing it. Strength is working through it. Strength is accepting it as your journey and not feeling shame and not feeling embarrassed and not feeling worthless because that's part of your journey. It's just like physical health. If I broke, fell over and broke my leg, I'd have no shame. I'd, I would just get on with it. I'd get it fixed and I'd get on with it. And it's important for me for myself that I did that I you know I've worked through it and got over it but it's important for me with regards to the work I do now I don't want people to feel ashamed that you know life's knocked them a little bit harder and they're struggling with that a bit I don't want them to feel embarrassed about whatever brought them to that moment it's a case of let's fix it as quickly as we can and as safely as we can and in a way that you don't have this over and over again for the rest of your life just like you would if you broke your arm and then you did your physiotherapy afterwards to keep making it strong for life that's what i'm really passionate about with people yeah and you said you said you know previously about um you were ashamed and and there was all this i think it's still it's starting to kind of you know with more of these podcasts and more people talking it's starting to the thing of um mental health and and asylum and you know you know it brings up this thing of asylum and locked doors and people's you know, walking around like zombies or, you know, banging on door, whatever it may be. Um, is that is that what the shame was for you in, in terms of, you know, you, you kind of saw that side of things and you're kind of getting away from it and, you know, I don't want people to know this is happening here. Yeah, I think for me is I, I, I want, I'm a very, I'm quite a straight talker in life in general. Yeah. And I, I'm not, you know, I, I think I was a case of, I, I didn't want people thinking I was weak. That's the big one. Mm. Or as a fe- as a female, it's very hard to be taken seriously in business yeah. um, and not to be seen as the fluffy person. 
Yeah. And so for me, I'd worked really hard on achieving success by not being seen as a fluffy person, not being seen as weak, and being able to cope with anything. And the reality of it is, is nobody can cope with everything, and nobody can keep going at a hundred miles an hour. Exactly. And, life does happen and it, some have it worse than others but most of us are just juggling the best we can and I mean most of us are going to experience some form of mental health issue throughout our lifetime definitely and since since then has, has your family or your family members have have they have they, have they got help and what, what's actually happened there yeah I mean yeah absolutely it's a different time now and again it's um, it's a different time and there's different support systems in place but yeah so now it's, it's very very different everybody's doing their thing and they're happy doing what they're doing it's not like it was 20 years ago yeah yeah so and no you... more hospital appointments and, and none of that yeah. there's been no mental health hospitals for a very long time yeah so do you do you, over the years do you find that because of that's happening on and they, they were probably getting better did you find that that was it was that something for you to to that was like almost like a purpose for you because they were getting better. What 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 was? Do you see a connection no, between it that? Didn't. It, yeah, no, it didn't. There for them because because I basically created a world inside of my head and I disconnected so much. I wasn't really aware of what was going on in other people's lives other than my own and in my head. Yeah. Um, although what I would do again, I would you create connections with people and those connections for me would become almost like family because I disconnected so much from the family that I had yeah. simply because that was where all the chaos was. I ended up creating a new family with, my, with these people that would come into my life. And that's, yeah, yeah. it's a good support system at the time. It's actually very dangerous because what it actually creates is you can end up creating lots of toxic relationships in your life just out of desperation of having yeah, close yeah. connection. Yeah. And that's actually what I ended up doing. Um, so for me, it was very much a case of when I took the time out. So I was 38 when all of this really came to its pinnacle moment for me. Yeah. When I took the time out, I looked at my life. That's the first time I actually kind of opened the doors to the world I'd been living in and looked at my life from eight core areas and really got to know myself again. And then through that was able to then look at what's happening with my family, what's happening with my friends, who are the right people for me to have in my life, who are the wrong people to have in my life. And I went through that process and that's how everything started to change for me. Yeah. And, and Almost like taking the blinkers off. Yeah. And, you know, not to, not to, you know, cause I want to get onto the things to do with what you're doing and, and, and uh, you know, the, you know, cause we're talking about you. To, to kind of understand, because people have come on and they spoke about, you know, there was a moment or there's this light bulb moment or whatever. It, at that moment where you um, you had the breakdown, just kind of, if you could, give a, a not a detail, but just sort of what what actually happened. in Because in, we'll often say, oh, we had a breakdown, but then no one looks at what that breakdown was. What, you know, at that moment in time, was it, you know, was you was you flying off in a rage? What was it? Was it you just you you, you couldn't see? Um, what was what was happening? Yeah, in that moment. So it's it was exactly that. My my cognitive brain just stopped working. So in that moment in time, my brain was so exhausted, it just stopped working. So I couldn't function. I just couldn't make a proper decision. So at the time for me, I was behind the wheel of a car. And I was pulling off of the motorway to come onto the slip road to take me off. And my brain just couldn't, 
it, it could move the car, but it couldn't do the thinking that needed to be done. So I couldn't do the whole, what do I have to check to my right? Do I have to check to my left? So I just kept driving. Yeah. Yeah. And as I drove, I don't know, maybe it's very lucky because if I kept driving, I would have gone straight across the road, straight onto the most way to the side over a bridge. So maybe I'm very lucky the fact that as I was pulling off, I just kept driving. Somebody hit me in the side of the car at such a force, it knocks the car off from four wheels onto two and I bounce back down and it stopped me moving anywhere. So I think ultimately I probably survived that day just because someone hit me really hard. Yeah. Um, but that's what it was like. It was suddenly nothing. There was, it just, my brain just stopped working. And I'd had signs for quite a while, I think, when I looked back at it, that I was just ignoring. And one of those signs was, I remember being in my, my lounge at the time, and I was just, just absolutely chaos, panic felt in my head. And I just felt like the whole world was surrounding me and forcing me into the corner. Yeah. And that's what it felt like. I felt like I was being compressed. I felt like every wall was coming in. Every single person in the world wanted something from me that I couldn't give them. And I was still, you know, getting up and going to work and doing what I need to do, even though there was all of these moments. Um, I stopped sleeping. I mean, staying awake for 24 hours solid had become a norm for me. I just didn't sleep. Um, it was crazy. I, You know, I wouldn't sleep for a whole day and I'd get a few hours and I'd not sleep for a whole day again. But I was still getting up and going to work. So... There was a lot of signs that I was ignoring, but in that one final moment, it was just, it just stopped. The brain just stopped thinking clearly or straight. It's the prefrontal cortex could not communicate effectively to the hippocampus and therefore nothing. Yeah. And um, yeah, it could have been a lot worse than it than it was. Yeah, because like I say, when I've asked the question and you, know, you hear it and people say, oh, I've had a breakdown, but no one actually really explains that moment when the breakdown happened. So from there, you've kind of, like you say, you spoke about you've, 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 you know, you've kind of come through that, and and you, you're now building yourself up, and you, or you've built yourself up. What was it like? To, was did you come back to, to Liverpool to build yourself up? What or was you there at the time? No, I was I was living in the Midlands at the time. I was living in Warwick, beautiful Warwick. Yeah. And as part of my recovery, I mean, I, I love this city. Liverpool means everything to me. I, I just absolutely, I love it. It's like a family member. And I think there was definitely a part of me where as I was getting stronger and stronger and stronger anyway, um, but there was that final piece of the puzzle, which is, I always call it, it's about your environmental wellness. It's about being in the place that you know environmentally you fit. And Liverpool is one element of that for me. So one of the final stages of my recovery was actually to come back. Um, and from that, I then chose to then continue with therapy anyway. So I ended up having therapy for about two and a half years. Yeah. And it was out of choice. It ended up being paid therapy. And I, I absolutely loved it. I look at it no different to go to the gym. Um, but it was, yeah, Liverpool's played a huge part in not just the recovery side of things, but just the right place it's the right place for me to be the people the city the, the vibe um it's just very much the right place for me to be and i think that's really important for people it's really important to be where you're supposed to be or be in the right place for you whether that's you know you've sorted out your bedroom the way you want it or you get to go and walk outside where it's really important to you that you like if you like trees it's really important for you to understand your environmental space that makes you feel happy and makes you feel safe and, and for me 
I, I, I like that that you said that because um, for some people they may be in a, say, a different country or they may be in a, in a different place and they might be going through things and it, it could be that could be a part of the puzzle where they're not thinking you know, they might be earning a certain amount of money or they might be doing this but something's just not right and it could be like you say it could be just down to down to the environment um, the air they're breathing and and and, and you know that, that kind of that kind of um, yeah the environmental factors of, of that plays that plays a part some people crave the beach some people crave um, you know the wildlife so let's let's talk about you know your your you know what your practice and what, what what's it what's it do and and do you get people coming to you? you you know is it word of mouth what is your practice like okay so yeah we're a private practice so um i tend to work with clients who either they've been they're waiting for a long time to go and do something with nhs and what they want to do is pay for something a bit quicker so i tend to work with people who are probably in the age range of about 30 to 55 a lot of them are in either professional roles or management roles, business leadership roles, and they're juggling an awful lot in the workplace and an awful lot at home as well. Those people have either got going through a mental health issue at the time or haven't been diagnosed yet, um, or they're doing everything they can to prevent it, or they just need some help with what I call life challenges, traumas and transitions. Yeah. So what we offer is one-to-one work. So we can do psychotherapy, counselling, some CBT, some hypnotherapy and life coaching for to help people through that process but then we also do some uh, training as well so where we can work with organisations, we can work with employers to help their staff or we even do training where people can come and book themselves on if that's what they want to do. Our core model with what we do is what we call the 8Ys wellness programme which is a framework that if you are if you're able to embed it you can use it as a recovery model if you have or have had mental health issues you can use it as a well a mental wellness management model to help you develop the coping mechanisms you need to protect your mental health and you can also use it as a problem solving model for when you are faced with those ongoing life challenges that we will all face and we do that one-to-one or we do that um, in group sessions as well and I'm lucky Liverpool's great I have a a lovely office there right in the city centre but I work internationally with clients as well so I um, I've been working with Zoom for a long time and delivering one-to-one with them right so you do a lot of online stuff as well Um, absolutely how have you how have you okay let's say the ratio have you found the ratio is is it equal is it men women what have you found that um well, what's interesting is that for counselling services, it will be mainly women. Um, coaching services, I have a high, lo- high level of men. Um, what was interesting is when I was, I've got a friend who's a surgeon back in the day when I was setting up the business and I was talking about, you know, the counselling side. And he turned around and said to me, I would never go and see a counsellor, but I'd go and see a coach. And... And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And so, yeah, most of my male clients come to me looking for a coach. And they come to me through the directories. So I'm on a few different um, directories that specialise in life coaching and and counselling. And that's where most people find me. Or word of mouth is a big one. Or my social media. I've got quite a lot of people on my LinkedIn, for example, that um, follow me there. 
So I tend to get people come so, directly. So why do you think or, or know the, di- the, the difference between the, the coaching? Why men would tend to go to the... Why do you think that is? Uh, yeah, I think a coaching model is quite... It's, it's quite tangible. So I like to look at therapy in general from start to finish from a three it's three-pronged approach counseling and things like that look tend to look a little bit backwards um, at the person to find out the why why that person might be feeling the way they are cbt models and things like that are looking at how we can cope with what's going on with right now and coaching is very much forward thinking but coaching is about it's task orientated with what is it you want to achieve when do you want to achieve that by or go and do this and let's reflect on it and I think men are very much like that I think they are they don't mind doing the other parts of it and most clients I work with your male will do the other parts of it with me when they understand the benefits of the full end-to-end holistic model but it's the coaching side of it where somebody can say oh yeah that makes sense give me a worksheet to do I can do that yeah if I I've got to go and do that makes sense um so i think that's what it is it's, it's a coaching very much a process and uh they're in they're very very much in charge whereas i think although everybody who does any other part of therapy is very much in charge because it is about them it's their process i think maybe they're a little bit scared of what might come up there and it's that control side of it whereas exactly. it's testosterone i mean exactly. men are very action focused yeah, exactly. it's about action and a coaching model is an action model yeah. And I would, and I knew you were going to say, not knew you were going to say, but I tend, to, yeah, I did, but I tend to agree with you in the sense that, you know, with the, with the, um, the counselling. I mean, you said about looking, looking retrospectively, um, a lot of probably, probably it's the type of clients or whatever, or just men, they, they, they don't want to. Um, again, it goes back to you know, we can see a lot of things. They doesn't, they don't want to reveal, they might not want to reveal about, about themselves and. Um, it might make them look weak or whatever in your, you know, in your eyes. So, or in their own eyes, um, you know, it's almost like there's almost that stigma um, attached to it. So, for for you, for you, you've kind of come through a long process, a long journey. How how are how are you feeling? How how do you feel now? Oh, I'm one hundred percent of my strongest I've ever been. I really am. And if anything's proven that to me, it's this pandemic. At the end of the day, I suffered with health anxiety. Something that's going on on a global scale like this right now should absolutely petrify me. And um, in my old days, you know, five years ago, I would have been this would have been hell on earth for me. But actually, I'm genuinely very calm. I I do my self care every day. I've got a very realistic outlook to everything. I do what I'm told. I stay in. I stay safe. Um, so I think it's definitely at this moment in time. I'm doing much better. My confidence is a lot higher than it's probably ever been in my life. And I think that's just because I accept who I am for who I am. And that's, I think that's a really important thing to get to. I used to struggle, I used to suffer really badly with low self-esteem and I don't anymore. I know my worth, I respect myself. um, I look after myself better than I've ever done before. Um, So I think, yeah, this is, a good time for the first time I, I look back and I can really honestly say hand on heart it might have been a tough time to go through what I went through I'm very grateful for it because if I hadn't hit that wall I'd have still been living in some little bubble that wasn't real yeah. um, where now you know I, I have a great life I, I'm, I'm happy as happy as can be really um, I don't want for too much and I still work hard but I work hard 
realistically for me now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if I do a long day, I'll have a shorter day the next day. Yeah. Um, I make sure I stay connected to people that are good people for me to have in my life. Um, I still have to see a, as part of the job that I do, we have to have a, a supervisor. My supervisor is fabulous and I still see them once a month where I get to offload and keep myself in check. And I know what the signs are now, so I don't ignore them. Um, I know if I've had a restless night, there's something going on, so I'll work through it. Um, I know when I'm not looking after myself what effects that's going to have. I, I really have developed those those coping tools and mechanisms. And I'm running a successful business, which I couldn't have done that five years ago. Yeah. yeah. Are you are you finding then that um, in in Liverpool, are you getting you know you are you finding mental health um, and mental health illnesses struggles and things like that? Is it is it is it would you say it's more um, pronounced now or is it is it just that more and more people are recognising it? You know, what, what, or is it just a mixture of the two? I think we uh, live as a city. I think it's got high levels of. Uh, mental health in general um, so I think there are it's definitely growing the agenda is big the agenda is big here I think one of the big issues with an agenda like mental health growing as quickly as it has which is what it feels like for people is a lot of it becomes lip service the, the terminology of mental health just becomes a bit more yeah. of a lip service yeah. just another TV advert another thing that would be in Ramdown next another thing we've got to add to a HR policy yeah. so for me uh, the clients that I've had, the great thing about my person, my clients, is that they're at a stage where they, they are taking it seriously and they are deciding that it's no one else's responsibility to look after them, that they have to do it for themselves. And I think there's, you know, there's a lot of people in Liverpool who are thinking like that and will go out there and do it for themselves rather than just wait. I think there's also a lot of people who are waiting on waiting lists knowing there was something wrong, knowing there is something wrong and are waiting to get that support. And um, the more people wait on the waiting lists, the longer those waiting lists are. So I try to get everybody to explain it to everybody. It's a case of if you go to the gym to look good and look after your physical health, you also should, if you can, go and see some form of therapist that helps you to keep your mental health in check. They go hand in hand. You can go to the gym every day for the rest of your life, it doesn't mean you won't have a mental health condition yeah. because exercise will help, but it won't do everything for you. So you need to learn about yourself a bit more and um, going through a therapy process actually is very good for that. Just being able to offload in a safe environment regularly with no judgment is a really, really empowering thing to feel. So I think Liverpool is, is getting there, definitely getting there. Um, but like everywhere else, there's a lot more work to be done. Yeah, and and before you know, before we round up, in a sense, you what in terms of what's happening with the the virus and the pandemic? We spoke earlier about it, um, and what would you like to see to come out from that? You know, we spoke about you know family units getting together and people getting together. What would you what do you see coming out of it? And what would you, would you like to see coming out of that? I would like people to get back to basics with with regards to community and actually get back to the stage where they connect, I mean really connect, not with a screen in front of them and not via a text message, but actually see the people they care about in their lives and connect with them and know what's going on with them and, and care in that way. So I would very much like that. 
I'd also love if people weren't falling victim to the marketing world as much as they normally do. Mm. Um, for me, the marketing world is one of the biggest issues causing mental health triggers um, in the world, in the, in the Western world specifically, because the way the marketing world works, it has to constantly tell you what you've done wrong, what you're not good enough, why you're not even adequate, yeah. in order for you to feel inadequate to want to buy those products. Yeah. So it would be great if people come through this, those people who've been stuck at home on their own with no friends or family and survive it, come through and go, actually, no, I am worth it. I am strong. I don't need this product and I don't need that product. And they start to have that self-belief and that sh inner strength again, rather than relying on it. A consumer's world telling them who they should be and who they are and um, when they're failing so real connectivity and self-acceptance is really what I hope comes out of this yeah that's brilliant isn't it? yeah for a long time we, we often said that the, the, the love has been lost and, and like I say maybe this is the time where um, it's some some force is letting us know that we're, we're going too fast we've been going too fast and like you say we need to get back that human connectivity absolutely i say it all the time we are pack animals we are supposed to be part of a pack we you know extrovert or introvert that's different but we're supposed to be part of a pack um don't isolate yourself the world doesn't exist in your phone it doesn't exist on your laptop it exists around you every second of every day be present be a part of it connect to it and connect to the people in it that's the best foundation you'll have for your mental health. Yeah, definitely. I say a couple. I've heard. I've heard a couple of um, stats saying, you know, you know, we know it anyway. But we don't even need stats to tell us is that you know, people, you know, men or you know, men, in terms of being, you know, less likely, more likely to die if they're spending, you know, an old, you know, old age of being too long single and. And living on their own and things like that. So we know that's not meant to be a single life, and and, and we need that connective thing to come back together. So where can you be found? So you can find me on my website, which is uh, uk. You can contact me by email, which is info at uk. And I'm right in the middle of the city centre. So I'm right behind the town hall in Liverpool city centre. So if you come in to visit, pop along. And what I'd say to you is, can you give us a few lines in Scouse? I can't, no. I'd probably end up insulting every Scouser at the same time. They'd never speak to me again, and I'm not going to risk that. But it will come out every now and then. If you're lucky enough to spend quality time with me, it comes out every now and then. <laughs> so thank you for coming on, and, um, you know, that's a... You know, very, you've, you've managed to turn things around and, and very positive and I hope people are out there um, listeners who can kind of take your story and kind of hear your story and kind of um, get inspired by it yeah and that's the message if I can do it absolutely anyone can do it you're stronger than you think you are you've got more power inside of you than anything just find it use it move forward yeah. thank you for coming on and um that was Men Are Nuts. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.